Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. Now, each week, I usually begin my sermon kind of with a funny story or some kind of funny illustration that hopefully makes some of you uh, laugh or chuckle. I know Christina's going to laugh or chuckle because that's just what she does. She loves a bad joke. But each week, I, I try to start with a, a smile, and then I, I dive into the text that God has for us that particular week. All right, but this week, well, it was just one of those weeks where I felt like I, I just could not do that. All right, I, I just couldn't do that. So this week, I, I felt the collective pain that we all have had from living in this broken world. Uh, truly, right? It was in the air. I mean, just awful. Evil stuff, uh, stuff that we've been talking about in the book of Revelation, right? It has been alive and well. Right? The unseen world around us is becoming very visible. Parents hugging their kids tighter, kids asking questions that we adults just don't have the answers to. 22 families had their lives completely changed in an instant. And we as a country have been brokenhearted yet again. And all that happened as the city of Buffalo was still having funerals from a hate-filled shooting. And in California, there's a congregation of Taiwanese Christians still healing from their attack. And it seems like week after week after week, our collective posture, our collective stance, has pulled our shoulders further and further down. And our faces no longer look up for joy. And that's just the, the stuff that's going around in our world, let alone the, the struggles of, of hurting relationships, the, the struggles of, of diagnoses, and the struggles of, of just everyday life. Right? When, when something breaks my heart or when I get a little upset, I, I get antsy. I have to move. I have to do something. And, and I don't necessarily cry. And, and my hands, they, they ball up. And I, I kind of make fists. And, and the rage, it starts to boil up inside of me. And, and I, I just want to move. I want to do. Right? Sometimes I, I may even want to hit something or break something. I just have something it's just going on inside of me. And so I'm standing here, and I, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm even yelling at God the last couple of weeks. I just can't stand up here on a Sunday morning in, in front of my brothers and sisters of this congregation, and the people that you've called me to pastor, and not say anything. I've got to say something, right? We're, we're mad, we're angry, we're hurt, we're upset. I have a, a niece that is nine, I have a nephew that is ten. We have kids in, going downstairs right now that are that age. Right? That could have been our family there in Texas. It could have been our, our family and friends in Buffalo simply shopping or in that church in California gathering to worship or stepping up to the table for a meal. Right? We just can't do nothing. And that's when Christina, my wife, looked at me with her, her big eyes and she said, well, what should we do? <laughs> well, her zeroing it in a little bit kind of reminded me of something, right? With that, that simple question, something came to mind. And it wasn't rage. It wasn't the anger that I normally feel. It wasn't a new brilliant law that we should vote on as a country. 
It wasn't a plan to take over the world and make everyone act like me because according to Christina and probably to all of you, that would just not be a valid option. The first thought that came to mind when she said, what should we do? What should we say? It was the first piece of advice that my dad gave me when I was beginning my preaching ministry uh, 11 years ago last month. And he said this, show them Jesus. All right? I mean, that's, that's simply all that I need. That's my job description in three words. Show them Jesus. I, all, all week long, I've been praying, I've been angry, and I've been uh, searching for the, the right thing to say to you guys, to, to pastor you, to encourage us. And, and I just keep coming back to those three words over and over again, show them Jesus. Right? The, the world is broken. It's, it, it's falling apart. We, we read about the seals being torn open, and, and people are making horrible decisions every day. We have stresses. We have worries. We have concerns. We just have a life. And the only foolproof solution we have is Jesus. It truly is, right? And this is not a, a triite uh, preacher answer. This is the answer. Right? I don't want you guys to just say, Andrew, you're supposed to say that. You're, you're a pastor. Right? Listen, nothing actually changes things. Nothing can get to the core of the issue, whatever the issue is. Nothing can get to the core of the issue except for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus. Right? Nothing can change a heart but Jesus. Nothing can restore a life but Jesus. Nothing can redeem a broken life but Jesus. And we believe that if we're forging our life on God. Listen, we, we've been reading through the book of Revelation, and for the entirety of the book, over and over uh, again, using every literary tool imaginable and every illusion possible, uh, we see that the solution for every single uh, one of the world's promise, uh, problems, and there are a lot of problems, is Jesus. And that's what we've been seeing over these last few weeks, right? Full stop, period. Mic drop, it's Jesus, right? Jesus riding in on a horse, right, here to save the day by dying on the cross. Jesus, the King of Kings, Jesus, like we said, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, like we looked at in the very first week, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, right? Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus, the Savior of the world. Right, we want to fix this world. Right, we want some changes in this world. And then we have to show them Jesus. And we daily have to forge our life on Jesus. That's what we have to do. And then right there, right, in the last chapter of Revelation, God says this. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. Right, this, is, this is only by his working. Right? I'm thinking these things, I'm processing these things, I'm dealing with these things, I'm wrestling with these things. And then I look at this week's scriptures text, and it says this. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It was flowed uh, down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine and to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be there and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face. 
and they'll see his face. Put your finger right there. Right, right there. It, it practically smacked me in the face, right? right? I'm talking about, oh, man, we got to show them Jesus, right? And it's right there, and they'll see his face. In heaven, we will see his face, Boundary Church. We'll see his face. We will see Jesus. The pain of, of the world will be gone. The brokenness of this world will be gone. The heartbreak, all of it, gone, like we talked about last week. And we will see Jesus. We'll see Jesus. We'll see his, his face. Right? I, didn't, I didn't have to change my message after all this week. Right? right? God knew when we were planning this series months ago what we would need. We would need to see his face. That's what we need. We need to see his face. Right? God has known all along what we needed to be reminded of today. And that's this. Right? The world does not satisfy the world does not satisfy. We're looking for answers. We're looking for solutions. We're looking for just a point to it all. And we're not going to find it in this world. The world does not satisfy. Let's face it, right? The world is pretty overrated. Now, I'm, I'm just trying to be real. And right? I love this world. I love being outside. I love hunting. I love fishing. I, I, uh, I love exploring and adventuring with Christina. Right? I love being alive. I love doing work. But it's not heaven. It's not seeing Jesus face to face. Right? If we keep thinking we just need to fix one more thing. Everything will be perfect. Right? We just need to change this one law. We just need to fix this one flaw in the system. Or even on a more personal level, if we just get that raise. Or if we just move down to the DMV and kind of slowed down, everything was going to be okay. Or if we just moved into the bigger house. And then we get those things. And what happens? We want the next thing. And the next thing. Right? Think of it like this. Right? When Hall of Famer uh, quarterback Troy Aikman won his first Super Bowl uh, with the Dallas Cowboys, boo, right? <laughs> he, he got with his teammates, or, or, he, I'm sorry, he did not go out with his teammates to celebrate after their, that, that Super Bowl, right? Instead, he went to his hotel room, he ordered uh, a beer from room service, and he sat alone in his hotel room. And then later, he told a reporter uh, this, he said, I kept thinking back to when I was a teenager, how I thought life's problems would be solved when I turned 16 and got a car. Like, he could, a little bit of freedom, you can do whatever he wants, you got a car, right? But they weren't, they weren't solved. Now, here I was at the top of professional football, and I found myself thinking the same thing, is this all there is, now what? Right, that's the same principle, Right? That's the, that's the same principle. We think we can fix things down here uh, on this planet. We think we can just get out our kid into the next thing or the next activity or the next school, the better school or the, the, the next sport. And, and they'll go to the right college and they'll get the right job and they'll marry the right person and it'll all be set. No worries for them. Right? We think if they can do that, if we, if we vote in this person in office, that will simply fix uh, the, everything that is wrong in this country just because that one person is in office and we'll be on our way to prosperity. Right? We think that if we work out enough and we eat healthy enough, it will be beautiful and handsome like our Pastor Andrew. <laughs> but if we think if we eat and we finally do these things, we'll, we'll meet the dream, the person of our dreams, and we'll be able to start a family that we've been dreaming of, and, and we'll go on and on. Right? Alexander, the, the great 
illustrates the same thing. Right? He, 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 Alexander the Great conquered the known world, and when he had found there was no more nations to conquer, he sat down and wept. He sat down and cried, right? Because what else am I going to do? Right? This, this world, no matter how successful we are or, or how much we want to be successful, it will always let us down. All right, but here, here's the, the, the rest of the truth, right? The world was not meant to satisfy. It was meant to whet our appetite. This world was not meant to satisfy. This world is the appetizer, right? It's to whet our appetite for what's to come. Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, puts it beautifully when he writes this. He says, he says nothing is more often mis, uh, misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. We think what we want is sex, drugs, alcohol, a new job, a raise, a doctorate, a spouse, a large screen television, or even a new car, or a cabin in the woods, a condo in Hawaii. What we really want is the person we were made for, Jesus, and the place we were made for, heaven. Right? We think that we can fix things down here on this planet. Right? And having a, a new job, having a, a home, having, achieving things or, or reaching for some of those things that he wrote about, those things are great. They're made to whet our appetite. They're not the meal. Right? We should help our kids work towards success. We, we should vote and work to improve the place that God has put us here. We should try to be healthy and, and strive for those things. But those things are just small tastes of what it will mean to look upon Jesus like we learned last week. They're just a, a ray of the sunshine, not the sun. They're just the stream and not the ocean. Right? They are a mere glimpse of the most important thing. Right? Don't just get your kid into the right sport or into the right school. Show your kid Jesus. Right, for, for example, let's stop asking each other how our kids are doing in this activity or that activity or, or, or in, in soccer or cheerleading or swimming or whatever it is. Let's stop asking those things first. Let's ask those things. But let's ask first. Let's begin with what are you showing your kids about Jesus? Right, what prayers are you praying together as you go to those activities? What, what Bible verses are you studying together? Let's ask how are you showing them Jesus? Right, just don't vote. Right, show your neighborhood Jesus. Right, maybe stop saying, "Well, that guy's a Democrat; he don't know nothing," or "That guy's a Republican; he's an idiot," or "That guy's a Libertarian; who knows?" And just start saying, "That guy is a child of God, and I'm going to show them Jesus. I'm just going to be Jesus." Right, and instead of trying to run the other way from them when they're walking their dog towards you, because because we don't agree on everything. I'm still going to show them Jesus. You want to fix the problems in your neighborhood, start a revival. Right? We, must not, we must not forget the, the book that we've been studying was originally a letter that was written to seven churches who had forgotten that this world is not our home. That's what the, uh, these, these churches, these seven churches had forgotten, that, they, that this world is not our home. That, that, that the presence of Jesus is our home. The presence of, we're ambassadors here. But our home, who we represent, 
Who we live for is Jesus, right? So these, these churches at the beginning of Revelation, they needed their hunger for heaven kind of stirred up. They needed their, their sights set on things above and things of eternal importance. They needed a reminder that the good things of this world are just rumors of the next. That they're good, but they're not God. They're, they're not God. And they needed to be reminded that even though the hope of heaven seemed like a dim light in the distance, the face of Jesus will shine upon them when all this is over. And that's what I'm saying. We need to be reminded of that too. Right? Not because we're one of those churches in Ephesus, right? But it's just the reality. Right? At the end of this book, John gives us the last prayer in the Bible. In Revelation twenty two twenty, the second part of that verse it says it says, "Come, Lord Jesus." <laughs> the last prayer in the Bible, "Come, Lord Jesus." And I mentioned this prayer last week. This last prayer in the Bible is also one of the shortest prayers in the Bible, and and yet it is layered. It's layered like a parfait over and over again and again with heartache. In anticipation, it's layered with distress and despair, but also with hope, right? It's layered with agony, and it's also layered with joy, right? You have got to picture when it was written, right? Remember, John was in prison. He was exiled on an island full of other criminals. It was almost as if John tries to draw the risen Jesus out of heaven, Praying with all his might. The the barren and rocky ground beneath his knees that was all over this island was more than a prison. It was a model for the curse of sin. The, The root of the problems in this world. So staring him in the face is this 20 square miles overrun with consequences of sin. Over and over again, that's what's staring him in the face. And I see him praying this prayer, and I know how he's feeling, right? I know the pain of this broken world overwhelming him as he's longing for Jesus to come. He's longing to see the face of Jesus because this prayer is not just a prayer for relief. When he writes this, it's not just for something to be relieved from or safety or healing. It's not even a prayer for sinlessness. It's not. It's, It's a part of that, but it's also this. Come, Lord Jesus, is a prayer for him. Not just for those other things. It's a prayer for him. You see, the heart of John's three word prayer is not for what Jesus does, what he can provide, it's for who he is. That's what John's praying, and that's what this world is crying out for, the face of Jesus. And without the face of Jesus, without Jesus' life, death, and life again, without the gospel, the good news of his life, there is only death, like that island. That's what the Bible says, right? The wages of sin is death. The world is not just falling apart without Jesus, it is dead, And here's the sad truth. All this stuff that we've been experiencing, all this pain, all of the heartbreak, 
Don't tuck in your toes, because if I haven't stepped on them yet, I'm about to. All the stuff that we've been experiencing, all the pain, all the heartbreak, it's about this. All the tragedies of this world are not so much the fault of a fallen world as they are the fault of a failing church. I mean, think about it, right? Right, church, I'm talking the global church here, we failed. We have looked around this broken world and we've ignored the dead. We thought, well, at least I have my life together. There's no hope for these dead people. We put on blinders. We've gotten holy huddles. And we said, uh, that out there, it's just far too gone. Let's just hunker down and wait things out. But if Revelation, this this book, has taught anything to us here at the Foundry Church, it's that Jesus is coming. (laughs) And he wants to bring as many people with him home as possible. And so we have work to do while we wait. Revelation doesn't say hide in the bushel while these horrible things are going down. Revelation says that people, uh, people are out there. And tell people about the hope of the world. Tell people that the Savior has come and is coming again. Show people the face of Jesus. The God that you're forging your life on. That's what we're learning, right? Tell people they can live again, right? Through Jesus, the dead can now be raised to life, right? Did, did, did we hear that? Do we believe that? Right? Jesus does not just make us feel better. He just does not just make us behave a little bit better. No, Jesus makes our cold, dead hearts beat again. And at some point in our life, someone has told us that. Someone showed us Jesus. And at some point in our life, we got a glimpse of Jesus. We got a glimpse of heaven. And we said, you know what? I'm in. Sign me up. And now it's our turn to do the same, to show others. Now it's our turn to show people Jesus. Right, church, we were once dead. We were once dead. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. We were all spiritually dead. And now we are alive. And nothing can show people the face of Jesus better than a resurrected life. No one can show, nothing, no one can show people Jesus better than you, your life, you. Nothing can change hearts like seeing the face of Jesus in a resurrected life, your life. Nothing can restore this world Like seeing the face of Jesus in your resurrected life, Foundry Church. Nothing can can bring us closer to heaven on this side of eternity than sharing the face of Jesus in our resurrected life. Nothing. In the last chapter of Revelation, before John prays the prayer of Jesus to come, there's an invitation. Flip over to, to verse 17 of chapter 22. If you still have your Bibles open... It says this, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of 
life. Notice who is the one making this invitation. Who's, who's making this invitation? It says the, the bride. And who is the bride? The church. We are the church. We are the bride. We are. We are the bride of Christ. And before Jesus comes again, we have one job to shout from the rooftops, come see my Jesus. By the power of the spirit that is alive within us, come and see my Jesus. That's what we do when we are heartbroken. That's what we do when we're processing a million different tragedies both in this world and in our lives. By the power of the Spirit that is within us, we say, come and see my Jesus. That is what we do when we are are filled with rage. That is what we can do when it seems like no one is doing anything to fix the problem. We can show them Jesus. That's what we're called to do before we do anything else. So as the, the band comes back up here, here's what we're going to do. Can you bring me one of those, Christina? The hospitality team is going to go around here in just a second, and they're going to pass out these little cards. As a a church, uh, as a local congregation, a local outpost of the church, the big C church, right, we're not going to contribute to the problems of this world. We're not going to be a failing church, right? And I thank God that we're, we're not. Just one second. You hear me say all the time that our mission here at the Foundry, what we are called to do, how we fulfill the Great Commission is simply guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. And do you notice the first two words there? Guiding people. You cannot guide, we cannot guide ourselves, Foundry Church. We have to guide other people, right? We have to help other people. We have to bring people alongside us. We have to show people Jesus for them to forge a lifelong reliance on him. So right now, the hospitality team is going to pass out these cards. Just these little postcards. And on this postcard, you'll see the words, I will show Jesus too. Right? I will show Jesus too. And then there's a blank. All right, I want you to fill in that blank. There's pens there in your seats. Fill it in today before you leave because once you leave, it's going to go in the bottom of your car, right? (laughs) Put a name on there, then you're going to, you know, maybe tuck it somewhere a little bit more important. All right, fill that in with just one name, one family, whatever, one person. All right, everybody gets their own. There's no couples here, all right? I saw that, all right? All right. Just one person, one name. Right, that is it, right? And, and we should definitely know somebody who does not know Jesus. Right? One of our measures, one of the things we want to become is, is a forged person. And the R in forged is that we have to realize that we're responsible for inviting others. We're responsible for that. And that's not from Andrew. Or from our leadership, that's from Jesus and his word. We're responsible for inviting others who are far from God to know God. Right? God is sending people our way. And we can show them Jesus if we're aware of that by the power of his spirit. So ask yourself, who is God sending my way? And write that name down. 
Write that name down and pray, pray for that name. And now here's the trick. Over the next couple of months, over June, over July, right? June starts on Wednesday, so we're actually getting a head start, right? I want you to go down this list that is on the back of the card, right? You could, you know, early June in the next couple weeks, just invite that person or that family over for a play date, a coffee, whatever's appropriate, right? Maybe it's a, a trip around the block with your dogs if it's your neighbor, right? Just something simple, all right? Something, something, something real simple. And then maybe in late June, invite them over to your house for dinner, a game night on the back porch, maybe to watch fireworks on the 4th of July, at the beginning of July there. Many opportunities to do that as a church. Uh, we're just making it available if you want to go as a church down to Lady Bird Johnson Park on the 4th. Some of us are going to be down there with a picnic, watching the fireworks over the National Mall. That's an easy place to get to and park. You park at the Pentagon, you walk over, you see the fireworks, right? Or you can go over here. They have them in Springfield. They have them in Fairfax. You can shoot them off in your old cul-de-sac, right? There's all kinds of creative ways, right? So you do one of those things, and then on the 24th, you invite them to church. Now, what's so special about the 24th? Well, in July... Since it's 4th of July weekend, we're not having a Foundry Family Lunch. On the 24th, we're having a Bring Your Friend to Church Sunday. And listen, we're already working on getting a mechanical bull ride out there. All right? I've been, I got a cowboy hat. We're going to have barbecue. All right? We're going to have some fun like we always do. All right? Bring your friend to your church on the 24th. Pray. Find that friend who's far from Jesus and show them Jesus. With just a coffee date, play date, whatever it is, dinner, watching fireworks, and then come to church on the 4th, on the 24th. Let's worship this morning. Let's continue to sing praises to our King, Jesus, because he can change everything in this world.